0: Hello and welcome to the Big Travel Podcast. I'm Lisa Francesca Nand. The fabulous Earful Tower podcast hit number one last week in the USA on Apple Podcast Charts and deservedly so. On this episode, host Oliver G talks Paris like a local, hanging out with the ambassador, chasing beavers down canals, catacombs, a moose on the loose in Sweden, grand colonial hotels in Fiji, East African trucking on a shoestring, great American road trips and people who call you baby and sugar in gas stations and so much more. Oliver G from the Fearful Tower is on the big travel podcast. your travels are very much linked with your podcast and also the fact that you're stuck in Paris right now and I'm here stuck in London uh, actually you know the weirdest thing is there's a dog barking outside my window there's a never a dog but bark- I'm on the third floor here at the top of the house with sweeping views across London there's no dogs around there and then suddenly there's someone's dog in a garden nearby
1: May- maybe it's I've heard stories in the UK of uh, animals taking over the towns like goats and maybe that was whales and, and like chickens and stuff so maybe the dogs are Uh, taken over it's like
0: it's like you know those um those old pictures where you have like dogs playing snooker and pool in sheds (laughs) it's it's like that out there right now in my back garden yeah it's happening so um you are in paris you're oliver g and you are the host of the earful tower podcast and so why don't you i'm telling you who you are am i right is that who you are (laughs)
1: You've got it exactly right, and I couldn't have said it better myself. Oliver G, host of the Earful Tower podcast, Australian in Paris for five years now.
0: Let's let's say the, uh, the chart-topping Earful Tower podcast, because I pointed it out to you, you hadn't noticed this, but you were number one in the whole of the USA uh, last week or this week. And yeah. uh, that was pr- partly due to obviously having a brilliant podcast, but also being mentioned in the New York Times
1: you're very kind thank you very much lisa but yeah it uh i used to look at the charts all the time and then i just it's weird the one time that uh, the new york times notices the podcast i i stopped looking at the charts just by chance but that was really cool and uh as you know it's really cool that people when new people find the podcast anyway so it's exciting
0: fun. you don't know where they're coming from or how they find it but you're so pleased to have them so exactly. tell us uh, the podcast is a good place to start tell us about the
1: podcast I tell people kind of that uh, the main guest it's like a weekly show and I tell people the main guest is really Paris. as, as, as I do have guests every week and they it's it's quite a lot kind of like what you're doing actually. like I have people who have interesting travel stories, but uh, it's not necessarily about their travel. so like I might have a uh, I've had chefs or tour guides or an ambassador or a mayor. Just anyone that's got some kind of cool story to tell. And sometimes I've had people, like some of my favorite episodes, are people who have got nothing to sell. You know, like everyone's got something to sell. But for example, once I had this uh, elderly British guy who, who stopped me in the street and he said, Are you lost? I could help. And we got chatting and turned out he'd been an expat here for 50 years. And I was like, You would have some great stories. I'd love to chat about it. And we did. And it was so r- refreshing just to hear him talk about, you know, at the end of it, I was like, You can listen to it on your phone. He's like, I don't have a phone. And I was like, yeah, you you know you're a real you're a real dude and that was pretty fun. So it's all kinds of people and it's just telling stories about Paris and people's lives here.
0: And Paris, I mean, wow, Paris tells its own story, doesn't it? Paris is the one of the most beautiful cities in the world. I don't, don't need to tell you that. I've spent a lot of time there. What what brought you there?
1: I came as a uh I came as a journalist. So I had a job in Sweden for a company that did they uh, well, still do Europe's news in English. And I, uh, they had a position open up in Paris, and I was like, that would be a really good idea. And uh, I applied for it, and I came down here for that job. And it was at a really sort of tense time for France five years ago. I came down right as the Charlie Hebdo terror attack happened on that newspaper to cover that. So it was a real strange time to move to Paris, and a strange time to move to, to move to a new country. You know, like a lot of people move. A lot of people, I say to people, a lot of people move to Paris for love, and I came for like evil for hate. And I was covering it. And all the uh, typical expats will be going out and tasting croissants every day for the first time and savoring that kind of stuff. And I just was here for the news. And so it was a much more gradual introduction to this wonderful city. But, uh, you know, all the croissants and stuff came later. But I came at a pretty tense time, to be honest.
0: Well, actually, not just that, there was also the Bataclan attacks not so long after Charlie Hebdo. Exactly
1: right. Yeah. So Charlie Hebdo was in uh, January and the Bataclan was at uh, November. It was in November.
0: God, what a time mm. to arrive in Paris, just as people... I mean, I talk a lot on TV and radio about travel, as in, you know, what's going on in travel news. So I was talking an awful lot about that at the time. I mm. know that Paris did get a, a very big tourism. Obviously, it's not the, the main thing, is obviously people's, you know, health and safety and everything. But Paris did get a massive drop after that. I think it then picked up, but it must have been mm. a very strange time to arrive in the city.
1: It was really weird and something that was pretty interesting out of it was when I first moved here as a journalist you they, they call there's this parachute journalism concept where that you they fly you in you do the story they fly you out so a lot of people are coming down to Paris for that and I felt a lot like one of those journalists except I was going to stay you know so when I got there and I was doing the first uh, story the Charlie Hebdo I had no context just as these other journalists didn't I didn't know what it meant for Parisians because I wasn't a Parisian and I, you can hear a police siren in the background. There's some authentic Paris noise for you. But uh, then, by the time that the November attacks came around, I, I'd been living here about a year. I was, you know, I was a young person that lived in the 11th arrondissement, went to those bars in those areas, and I understood it a lot more. So I had a lot more context. It was a horrible time, but it was a, a real interesting way to, to have a first year in a country like that.
0: Do you think it gave you a quite a, a- a good perspective in the way that you were coming in there with fresh eyes and this was all new to you?
1: Not so much for the hard news. Like when it comes to politics and uh, terrorism and that kind of stuff, uh, for, I don't know how much fresh eyes are important. But for the, the stories that I like to do and how I got into podcasting, I realise I'm not the most serious person or the most serious journalist. Like I, I did it, but I, you know, I don't live in... If you've hung out with other journalists, you know that often they'll go to the bar after work and talk about the news. And that's not really me. I, I'm more interested in, you know, telling stories or hearing stories, meeting people. So, uh, the the fresh eyes helped in that I did a lot of sort of feature stories later on about f- French words I found fascinating or habits or idiosyncrasies of Parisians. I love all that kind of stuff. And then it really helped. So, two years down the line, I started the podcast and then I just focused on the fun stuff. And that was a big sort of career shift and uh, it means I get to meet people like you and talk about travel and podcasting. What well, then, a wonderful yeah, change! I
0: know you're so lucky to uh, to meet me. No, not really. I feel it. I feel it. <laughs> oh, well, what about the Parisians? Because I love Paris. I used to I used to work there, and I've been many many times. I speak French, which I think helps. But because I cool. always find Parisians really friendly, and I know they yep. have a bad reputation. I've never I've never seen that. They're just as, they're just people, you know. It's you a get a some misunderstanding grumpy cab drivers, Lisa. maybe, but yeah. that's about it.
1: It's all a misunderstanding. That's what it is. It's uh, I, I put it down to, like, I think, let's just say American. I'm not saying it's typically an American person, but let's just take a random American who comes to Paris, goes to the Champs-Élysées, sits in a busy café, uh, the waiter's run off his feet, and when the waiter finally comes close, uh, they, you know, this American maybe speaks Eng- uh, English at them. You know, hey, we're ready to order. And, you know, golden rule is you always start with bonjour no matter what, just even if you can't speak French. And then uh, the waiter maybe is going to be kind of brusque with you and uh, brush you off a little bit. And then that American goes home and says, My God, those Parisians are so rude. When it could have all been really easily avoided with a little patience and a bonjour. Especially, you know, if you're going to go on the Champs-Elysees, you're making a mistake if you're buying a beer there anyway. But secondly... You're not even getting a real good glimpse into Paris anyway, are you?
0: I think there could be a whole book. There's a whole podcast series about the waiters all around the world, especially in yep. Europe. And if you are from the States, you know, you're used to this very high, shiny level sure. of um, friendliness, sometimes over friendliness, you know, when, when you're not used to it and all the different choices they can give you. And I find in places like uh, France and Spain and Italy, you get two types of waiter. Big general stereotyping here, but the two types are the really, 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 really over-friendly one who's just amazing and, like, patting your kids on the head, like, taking them yeah. off you, you know, <laughs> while you're having your dinner, or the one that's just like, yeah, what, what do you want, you know? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm yeah, happy yeah. I'm happy with both of those, you know? I just yeah. love it. I'm happy with both of those. As long as they give me drinks,
1: I don't mind. Yeah, I think if you... I think in Paris and France in general, uh, you get what you give. And if I often... Like, I have a lot of uh, tricks up my sleeve when it comes to small talk and conversation and in French, things like that. And if you just make a little bit of an effort, you will often have a really good time because French people love to chat and uh, they love a bit of, you know, wordplay or, you know, what do you call repartee, you know, like, so if you give it a go, you're going to get something out of it. And often you get a lot out of it.
0: What's been your favorite Parisian moment? It's a tough one, I'm
1: sure. Oh, that is a tough one. My favorite Parisian moment what, ever?
0: Yeah, like ever. I'm just inventing it now. I've got right, then, No, no, I've got one you've for got you. One. got one. I was going to come up with one myself. I'm just trying to work it out. But you go with yours. Go on.
1: I've got uh, what I did. a. Uh, I got to know the Australian ambassador to France because I had him on the show and I sort of befriended him. And you, he has the best apartment in the whole Maybe in France, right? Like, I don't know how the Australian embassy, of all the embassies, got such an amazing embassy. But his residence is on the top floor, 400 meters away from the Eiffel Tower, with a huge balcony and windows that must be uh, the size of two elephants standing on each other, right? So, uh, as I got to know him and his staff, I I sort of pleaded for a while, could they let me have an event in that residence? And uh, eventually they let me have uh, an event. with They said I could bring 100 people, right? So this moment, here's the moment. Me sitting doing a talk show where I was interviewing prominent Australians in Paris with the Eiffel Tower over my shoulder in this luxurious apartment and then the Eiffel Tower going off and the sparkling on the hour to end the show. That was my Paris moment. That was wonderful. It's never going to get better. That's when you know you've made it. Yeah. That was it. I, um,
0: I was in Paris once. I used to go to. I used to. Um, France Telecom were a big client of mine way before I trained as a journalist. I was only in my like early twenties, and I was winging it in this big event job. So I had to produce events all over the world. And Orange, remember the mobile phone people? Actually, they still yep. exist in they France. Still exist? They
1: still I use them.
0: oh deal. There we go. Mm-hmm. They were launching in other countries, and they don't exist in the UK anymore. But I launched them in Thailand, and went travelled all over the world with them. But then they got bought out by France Telecom. So mm-hmm. sometimes I used to. Have to go over for lunch, you know, just on the train. Other times I'd have to go over for two weeks and organize a big fence and parties and that sort of thing. But I found myself with my A level French having to like entertain people at the top of France Telecom. Now, I don't know if you've found this, but I found that. Parisian business people are really serious and they know their shit and they know what they're talking about. And I'm like, you know, 25 and living in London and having this sort of like, hey, I'm a, you know, an event girl lifestyle, you know. And it was just so intimidating to find myself around the table in Paris, you know, holding up, doing this presentation (laughs) with my A-level French and all these very serious men in seats there, you know, like looking at me going, yeah, what have you got?
1: Managed Managed to carry
0: it off though. But it was the downtime wow. was the best, and the restaurants are the nicest things for me. Any restaurant yep. that brings out like a uh, a trolley full of cheeses at the end, you know, that mm. has my heart. Mm. What do you mm. think? If Paris you're a foodie, is- are you not a foodie?
1: No, I, I was going to say if you're a foodie, then it's the the best city that you can be in. I think, yeah.
0: What about the the grimy side? Because what I like is there's, there's a little bit of grimy side. I'm not talking about the outskirts, you know, a proper grimy side. I'm talking about mm. the uh, the romantic grimy side of Paris, like the Marais sure. and all the... Sure. Uh, what I usually do is I go to, a, I go, look at a map and look for the, where the smallest streets are, where the narrowest mm. streets are, and that's where you know you're going to find the the tangle of old shops where the artists used to live that have probably been you know priced out by now you know but um mm. what's what's your favorite area for that sort of thing
1: there's a, so the Marais is really interesting for that exact uh, reason so so I don't know how well your listeners know Paris but just to paint a little bit of a picture there's a little island in the middle Well, there's two islands in the middle of the river that runs through Paris, the Seine. And those islands are where Paris started, so 2,000 years ago. And then as it started expanding, uh, it went northwards into the Marais. So that is sort of the the cradle of Paris, where it all started, really small little huts. If you've seen any of the old movies, you kind of get an idea. Kind of like what Prague looks like a bit now is what the Marais would have really looked like. And then uh, they just sort of built on top of each other, on top of each other. And so it's got this kind of intoxicating, almost claustrophobic feel where you feel that you can walk through any uh, passageway or courtyard and find some kind of treasure. So, for example, one of the treasures I like in the Marais is uh, I play basketball and there's this basketball court right near the village Saint-Paul. And along the side of it is this really ancient wall. It's called the Philippe Auguste wall. It was built... Uh, in like 1190 or something, right? And this wall used to be what ran around Paris 800 years ago. And then gradually over the centuries, usually they take down a wall and use it to build stuff, or they keep it intact like they have in some of the other French cities like Carcassonne or Saint-Malo, right? Uh, but this one is specifically interesting to me because it, the city swallowed it up. So as you walk through these narrow roads of the Marais that that you like, Lisa, you find bits of it, like in a car park or... Half of a building has got half of that wall on it. And I traced the whole wall one day just trying to find vestiges of this. And I find, and there are, there's like five or six towers, they're 800-year-old towers that might be, like one is in a museum, but the museum's about something totally different. And I went in there, I was like, did the wall run through your museum? And the guy's like, ah, you like the wall? Come and see my office. And he took me into his office, which was in one of the towers. But it wasn't like public. He's just like, every day I sit in this. And you could see up... Like a skylight in the roof so things like that that aren't even on the tourist uh, checklists i love that kind of stuff and i could spend all my days seeking it out
0: is it paris that's got the catacombs yep yeah. I haven't been to the catacombs, but I remember reading about them, and they look amazing and sound amazing. Have you been?
1: I think that they're even more narrow than the, the Marais. Yeah, that's uh, that's all the like millions of bones and skulls uh, on the fourteenth there and But very touristy, really long lines to get through. What you want to do? Uh-huh. What you want to do is you want to get to know either one of these urban explorers, or as I did, I got to know a, uh, a beekeeper. And this beekeeper was making honey, wine, or mead, and he aged it in the catacombs. So he had a secret entrance to some like weird part of the underground. So there was no bones, but it was like the ancient, ancient uh, alleyways, 30 metres underground. And he took me down there with his beagle and his honey, and he had cheese and wine, and it was one of the most incredible experiences. So it's just about getting to know people, I guess, and then you'll, all kinds of doors will open up for you.
0: What other characters? He sounds amazing. What other characters have really stood out for you?
1: Uh, I'll tell you, i got, got a fun story. Cut me, cut me out if I'm going for too long, but this is my favorite. Is uh, I was doing a story in the Canal Saint-Martin that runs through the city. Uh, you might remember it from the film Amélie, right? So I was doing a story because I was convinced that there was a beaver swimming in there. And mm-hmm. everyone told me I was a lunatic. There's no beavers in Paris. So I, started, I wanted to do a fun kind of episode, not just interviewing a character. So I, I started interviewing people around the canal. I was like, have you seen the beaver? You know, just that kind of sort of conspiratorial <laughs> edge to it and then and I you met didn't this... ask any
0: english tourists because they might have been uh, misinterpreted it <laughs> oh cool. yeah
1: well i stuck with the french for this one thank goodness but towards the end what of the, the day I go, I what city... is a
0: beaver in french uh,
1: uh, uh castor is castor. the word castor okay, cool. yeah so i was going around saying have you seen a beaver a castor and they were all like nah you're, you're no way no way and then at the end of the day i met this uh, older woman on a on a bench looking kind of wistfully over the canal and i said to her i was like and she spoke really good english and i said i just gently started talking about the canal and i said do you think there are any animals in here and she said why yes there are she goes there are birds there are there are uh, fish and there are crocodiles and i was (laughs) like i was like oh yeah there are crocodiles she goes yes i released two crocodiles in here last year and i was like what And then I had, maybe like you right now, Lisa, I had a million questions and uh, she had an answer for all of them. So, she had these baby crocodiles that got too big for her terrarium and she released them into into the canal. I was like, where? And she showed me. And then I made the whole episode about the crocodile and trying to find this crocodile. And it turned out that like in the 80s, they found fully grown crocodiles in Paris. And I was like... I was fascinated. It was, it was one of my favourite stories and the, the, the fun twist at the end of it is that in 1984 when they found one of these crocodiles, they sent it out to an aquarium in the countryside of France and I went to that aquarium and it's still alive. It's like 50 years old in Vannes in Brittany and it's like, her name is Eleanor and I was like, this story is too good to be true. So sometimes uh, there are characters you'd ne- just sitting next to you on a bench that have better stories than you could ever imagine.
0: Did you ever find a beaver?
1: No, I never found the beaver, but, <laughs> but the, but the uh, good question. But I think there's an animal called a koipu. Have you heard of that? C-O-Y-P-U. And that's what everyone thinks I saw. It's like a cross between a beaver and a rat. So a rat tail, beaver body, and they do swim in the canals. But a lot less exciting than a crocodile, I think.
0: You think, you think the crocodile might have eaten those anyway?
1: Well, that was the thing. I got a marine biologist's opinion. He's like, well, a crocodile. He goes, if it uh, if it was a, a year or two old, as you say, it would be. It would be feeding on things like koipus and beavers. And he goes, consider it could be that the two were released were a male and female. Could be a mating pair. Anything could happen. I was like, this is. This is too good to be true.
0: Oh, brilliant. Next time I'm in Paris, which I really, really hope is soon, I will look out for it. In fact, the waterways of Paris are one of my favourite things about the city because it's just such a great way to see the city. And even they're called the bateau mouche, the the tourist boats that go around. And you get a wonderful view of the the old islands that you were talking about, the Ile de la Cité. Mm -hmm. And um, in In fact, that's uh, in Saint-Louis, one -hmm. of my favourite places to -hmm. hang out on a bridge just watching the world go by absolutely. sitting having and a travel- picnic next to the river i love it
1: yeah and a travel tip i'm sure your listeners love travel tips absolutely uh, is there's also similar bateau mouches that go down the canal Saint Martin so it's Saint Martin so you can take it from up in the 19th and it'll take you all the way down to the river and it's it's very different. The one that you recommended is beautiful and it's a really good way to see Paris. But if you take the one on the canal, it's totally different. You're going th- sort of through residential, hipster Paris and you go through a long tunnel at the end. And no one does it, especially not tourists. It's like per- like interested Parisians do it. And uh, I did it. I, I did it for my birthday recently. I invited all my friends and we we're all like, we've never done this before. So we uh, we got a couple of bottles of champagne sat at the back and it was wonderful.
0: I'm totally doing that next time there. In fact, I'm doing it with you. We're going to go some crocodile hunting. and We'll do a uh, live video. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, actually, just before I move away from Paris, which you're not doing in any hurry as you're in lockdown there, nobody's no. going anywhere. The funniest time I ever went to Paris, actually, was when I went to see my friend Caroline. And she was in hospital in this sort of mental institute although she wasn't there it was a head hospital it's this beautiful hospital i forget what it's called but it's a beautiful oh it's got a big courtyard green courtyard in the middle and anyway so her brother came to pick me up and i was like 23 maybe arriving in paris for a week on my own you know we're going to have a great time packed all my favorite clothes you know we're going to party and everything like that her brother very kindly picked me up and you know took me to where she was in the hospital and we were on the metro and got out at the relevant stop and he said where's your bag and i said Well, you had it. And he was very polite when he picked me up from the Eurostar. He carried my bag, left it on the Metro, never to be seen again. So I turn up in Paris with no clothes. (laughs) No, I need some medication. So I had to go and find her in the hospital where she was having like a blood clot on her brain. She was fine. I had to borrow some medication from the hospital. She gave me her keys and she said... Don't worry, I'll organise you to go out with some friends of mine. So I went out, you know, I didn't have a phone or anything like that. Went out that night, followed some directions, met these guys that were in a band. We ended up getting very stoned. Sorry, I don't know if I could say that. On a river <laughs> next to the Ile de la Cité, the guy who was like a really cool guy. We were like chatting and getting on really well and sitting on this bridge. Got very stoned. Sorry, ma'am, dad, whoever's listening. And um, and then he started having a massive panic attack. It was the weirdest thing. Oh, <laughs> And wow. I ended up, I ended up having to. It was like four o'clock in the morning. I ended up putting the lead singer of this band into a taxi so he could like go off and handle his panic attack on his own because it was getting very embarrassing. Jeez. And then trying to find my way back to Caroline's house, and she was in the, the hospital still. It was you know all in, in uh, French. I had borrowed clothes. You know it was it was a great week. Anyway, the whole week went like that. It was a lot of alcohol consumed.
1: That's the magic of, of Paris. It's
0: <laughs> magic, It's perfect. <laughs> exactly that is the magic you, would, you wouldn't get
1: that in london
0: you would not get that in london <laughs> i've never lost my whole load of clothes in london although i've had Yikes. a few drunken nights out so you said uh, how what else have you done in terms of travels you said you lived in sweden what was what was going on there
1: i uh, yeah i lived in sweden for four or five years and i traveled i actually traveled quite a lot i love traveling I, i'm i've been out of australia where i'm from for about 10 years which started with a big trip through east africa and then up to Europe. I lived in London for a little while, as many Australians do. Yes, I worked in a in, house in a... full
0: of ten people in Shepherd's Bush.
1: So, well, not Shepherd's <laughs> Bush, but pretty much, pretty much. I worked in a hotel in uh, just off Oxford Street, which was really fun, actually. And then, uh, and then, used that as a base and travelled around a lot of Europe. And then I, I just sort of, I really liked Europe, so I don't think it's a surprise that I stayed here.
0: What was and, the East yeah. Africa trip? Tell me about that.
1: I've actually got an uncle who lives in uh, Arusha in Tanzania and I I just, I heard a lot of stories about what he does there my dad had been there when he was young and I just wanted to check it out. So I went down there and got on a truck with some people and we drove, we drove from Arusha to uh, Uganda where you can go and see the uh, mountain gorillas and then all the way down to Victoria Falls, which was, it was a long trip, but it was, it was really cool. Like, just a couple of months, really, like, I had no money anyway, but it was a real budget trip and saw a lot of cool things. Didn't have the money to go and see the Serengeti and stuff, but I went back and did that another time. But it was really just, you know, like, what, what was really cool about that was just, like, a lot of people who go to Africa, I think, go and stay in really nice hotels and eat in touristy restaurants and stuff, but we couldn't afford it, so we were really meeting a lot of local people and doing as they did. So I felt like maybe that sort of inspired me to keep traveling a lot and getting under the skin of what happens in countries and that kind of thing. But that was a pretty shaping trip, and, uh, and uh, I would love to go back again. But that led me on to Europe, and then I guess that's how I wound up here.
0: And Sweden as well. So you were living there.
1: Sweden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, that was cool. I was working as a journalist there, and the news in Sweden is very different to Paris. Like I, I say sometimes if, and this is true, like it happened. If there's a moose that gets on the loose and goes into a school or walks down the street, that is often front page news <laughs> in Sweden, and I love that. That's my kind of that's my kind of story. You know, they do a fun headline. Someone got pictures. You interview the headmaster who saw the moose. I love it. But it was a big change coming from there to Paris to cover the terror attack crazy
0: i can't even imagine what a change that would be from the moose mm-hmm. on the loose in sweden is it because nothing happens in sweden or they just choose to focus on the the more entertaining and interesting interesting news rather than the bad news which a lot of yeah. particularly our right-wing press over here in the uk focuses on
1: well i think it's uh, i think at the time so this is like almost 10 years ago now there wasn't anything happening but it's unfair to say that now because it's like as soon as I left, a lot of news happens in Sweden because remember, a lot of the you know the big migrant stories, Sweden took in so many migrants, uh, like per capita, was just huge, and that was a huge story around the world that continued, and people were sort of watching it to see what happened, uh, and you know even now with the uh, with the, the lockdowns, Sweden's at the forefront of it again because people are like, what are they doing? They're doing it differently. So now there's actually Sweden's really a big player in Europe news for some reason but when i was there often the stories were and i loved it don't get me wrong but often they were really they were really easy and i just started my work as a journalist in the journalist career so i wasn't one of the top notch people like if there was a a big political story they didn't even look at me if the moose came out, they looked look straight to me. So it was a, it was a big change. There's another we, moose like, on the moose.
0: Let's give Oliver exactly. a shout. Get, yeah. get him down yeah. there. Where's Oliver? Interview Where's moose. Get on the phone. Interview yeah. the oh, bar guy that saw the moose go past. <laughs> get yeah. the local police oh, on and the local mayor. That's always got to be done as well.
1: I'm excited just thinking about it.
0: <laughs> so it's the animal stories. It's the moose. It's the beaver. It's the crocodile. It's the theme it You're right.
1: You're right. There's a trend. You're right. You're right.
0: And back you home in it, back home in Australia, what's that like? What was your upbringing like
1: there? Well, I uh, we moved around a lot because my dad worked in hotels, so I sort of spent two or three years everywhere and just kept moving. So people ask me where I'm from in Australia. I don't even really know where you say you're from if you spent three years everywhere. So I just say Australia, but it's a I big know, country. Pretty normal, isn't it? yeah, pretty big, and we lived like all over it, like as far west as Perth, far east as Sydney. And uh, unfortunately, it's pretty seldom that I go back, partly because it's so far and expensive to get there, but also because, like I said, I love traveling. So if I've got time to travel, like I recently did a really big uh, road trip in the US for like five weeks, drove to um, LA from New York, but the long way, like, you know, it looked like a heart monitor the way that we did it. It wasn't Route 66 or whatever. So uh, I'd rather do that trip than go home and see my friends, which means, you know, I don't think my friends are very impressed with me, but my family is pretty spread out around the world, so it, it's. Uh, I think I can get away with it, but yeah, I don't. I very seldom get back to Australia. I love Australia, years. but it
0: is. It, when I've ever been there, it just. It's. This sounds really obvious, but it feels so far away. Well, even when I'm mm-hmm. there, I'm thinking, this feels far away from everything I love and care about, and I know that sounds ridiculous yep. as a travel. Professional And actually, a lot mm. of my family are in Australia because my dad's from Fiji, so I've got a lot of family there. But it just, it feels far away. And that, I, I know that sounds ridiculous. It is far away. Oh, no, for
1: sure. No, I get That's funny, though. Where's your dad from in Fiji?
0: He's, well, like uh, from all over. He was born in a little place called uh, Raki Raki on the north of the main island. But he grew up and spent a lot of time in Suva, in Baal right. or Toka. I've got family all over. So I'm guessing you've been by that question.
1: My, uh, my dad... And mom spent the past five years in Suva.
0: Oh, seriously! So, ah. Yeah,
1: so he was working in you know the Grand Pacific Hotel. The I big do, one? yes. Yeah, so he was the manager of that. Hang
0: on, the last time I went there, it was closed down. When was that? Ten years ago.
1: <laughs> ah, there you go. Before, yeah, because when he got there, they just sort of started reopening it. Had they? And that's like Amazing. an institution there. That's like on the currency and stuff. Oh
0: you know? my goodness! It's this beautiful old grand. Yeah victorian is it victorian yep. stunning stunning building and i re- i stood outside it again as a travel professional and went wow what a yeah. beautiful place and it was pretty run down at that point yeah so, yeah. Since so they, re- that they time, redid it
1: it's amazing yeah
0: oh and he was the manager there
1: yeah he was running it so we went i went there and spent a week uh we just lived in the hotel it was amazing it's so cool that well, is incredible.
0: So, I'd love to, you know yeah. what, I need to, I need to, my dad, who is obviously not with me, he's locked down down the road, I'd love to ask him about that, like, because he has stories about that hotel that I must tell you off uh, the podcast, and maybe I'll be able to, to um, you know, tell the listeners afterwards. Uh, sure. So they're not there, they're not there anymore. They, no, they no.
1: just, uh, they just left they nice. did a five-year sort of stint there and then they moved back to Australia. Suva like, is like a, a fantastic... Like a week ago, two weeks ago. That's so yeah.
0: weird. Suva yeah. is a fantastic little city. city. It's yeah. really, it's full of character. And actually, uh, uh, my dad tells me, you know, because he, he left there in 1960, he was champion boxer of Fiji. Wow. But he tells me that um, it hasn't actually changed that much since, you know, he was there. Obviously, there's been some changes, but there's still, sure. you know, it still looks very, very similar. It's a beautiful oh, old Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, cool
1: place. Come I'll food. send you
0: if you're interested. I'll, I'll send you the podcast episode I did with my dad. I had him on it. Please, so it was please. A, it was a you sh- I'll point. send
1: it to my parents as well yes. because they were really interested in the history of the hotel in that city. You know, like they were collecting because, like, you know, the I don't know how much you know about it, but the the people the, I can't remember his name, but the guy that flew across the what would it be, the Pacific? Yeah, the yeah. Pacific. Yeah. Whoever flew across the Pacific stopped there and stayed in the hotel on the first flight. You know? The oh, really? Oh, I don't flight. know. Yeah.
0: Should we look at? Uh, do we want to look at? It it.
1: Nah, and the nah. listeners can be at home yeah. going, "Yeah, it's that person, you <laughs> it's idiot,
0: that, you stupid." Call yeah. yourself travellers.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then there's the uh, like the the royal. The Queen was there when she crossed.
0: The... Oh no, I've got yeah. so I've got so many stories about that. I'll condense it. My dad was there. I think he was about eight or ten years old, and he he was there as the Queen came. Oh, However, wow. I make a podcast with. Lady Pamela Hicks who is now 91 and she was there she's the queen's bridesmaid the queen's um she's lord mountbatten's daughter i don't know if you've been watching the crown or you're yeah. aware of the No i reckon yeah <laughs> yeah yeah she's she's the queen's lady in waiting and best friend at that point and i make a podcast with her and her daughter India Hicks it's called the India Hicks podcast and she's got incredible stories because she was she was in india when her dad was the last viceroy of india and just these great stories but we were able to have this bonding moment about my dad because my dad had seen her and the Queen in 1953, I think it was. Yeah, 53 or 54, the Commonwealth tour. Yeah, so brilliant. Anyway, that was a big digression. What other travel stories have I got to squeeze out of you? Before I ask you my last question, what was the standout, what's a real standout moment from that LA to New York trip? I bet that was amazing.
1: A standout moment from that trip was uh, ah, the whole thing, really. I think that how friendly Americans are was amazing. Like we, we, I I love talking to people and, uh, just people being like stupidly hospitable. And I mean, stupidly in a good way. (laughs) And oh, i tell you what, my highlight actually was the way people's accent changed with every state. I was fascinated by it. Like just you cross a border and they start talking differently. And I was trying, I I wish I uh, made a podcast season about it because it was so fascinating. Just so just so hugely interesting to me. And I was always trying not to mock it, but to imitate it because I, I love it so much. And like you go someplace and and the women will call you baby. Like, you know, they'd be like, Do you want some gas, baby? Or you want some <laughs> gas sugar? And and I was like, Can like I say that movie. back to them? Yeah. yeah and sugar, I was give like they'd be gas. like Yeah, yeah, I did it. I thought it was funny. Like they go, Hey, hey baby, is that is it just the gas? I'd be like Yes, baby. And they'll be like, yeah, you want to pay with, you to pay with card, baby? I'll be like, yeah, sure, sugar. I loved it. I thought it was wonderful. <laughs> and they're not laughing
0: as you're saying it back to the... No, it, I think, I right, think huh?
1: they, they, a lot of Americans found us wildly exotic. Me as an Australian with a Swedish wife living in Paris, crossing America. Especially for people that lived in small towns and, and maybe didn't meet too many foreigners. Like they, they thought we were quite a hit. And we were, I was lapping it up. I thought it was great. I felt like a oh,
0: celebrity. Oh, I do know? I love the States. I can't wait to go back. That's the trouble mm. about doing this podcast is that I just I just want to go to all of these places, the ones I've been to mm. before. I want to return. I want to go to the ones I haven't. So I'm going to ask you my last question There, My last question is all about music, because I think that music and travel go very much hand in hand. And I'm a massive music fan. And it's just an excuse, basically, for me to talk about music. If you had to choose one song that reminds you of a memorable time and place of travel, what is that song and what does it remind you of where were you and what happened i wish i had an answer
1: prepared
0: no don't no it's it, the better the ones that are prepa- are not prepared are the better ones because yeah, okay. people so I gotta... yeah people go wow my god she's not my favorite but i was listening to britney spears at the top of everest you're like yes obviously you haven't been to the top of everest and i don't know about your britney spears penchant but go on
1: so um it still counts as travel if I'm new to Paris, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely,
1: yeah. Yeah, cool. Okay, so when I moved to Paris, I uh, I had no internet for a long time because it's really hard to get it and uh, they don't want to give it to you, it seems, for some reason. So all I had, uh, like to get internet, I needed to go down to a cafe and sit out the front of it or inside it, but depending if it was open. So all I had for entertainment was this old radio and it was all French music, and they there's a law here that they can't play too much English music. And my French was so abysmal when I moved here, I didn't understand any of the songs. But there's one artist, and his name's Julien Doré, like Julien Doré, right? And for some reason, all his choruses are in English. So every time his songs came on, I immediately snapped into it. I was like, hey, I got this one. So uh, he had three songs, maybe the one... I don't I don't even know the lyrics of him still but I heard him so many times and it takes me back to my first apartment looking over uh the I was on the 7th floor looking from the seventh, second arrondissement over the rooftops one of them is called Paris Seychelles Paris Seychelles that song I love it because it takes me back there and he's he's probably the equivalent of I don't know like, not super, super popular here, but second tier popular, maybe, or close to first tier. So he's not... I think many people, if you said his name to them, they wouldn't know. But that song, Paris Seychelles, will always bring me back. And I still play it all the time to remind me of it. And I guess deep down, I kind of like it. But there you go. Julian Doré, Paris Sichel.
0: It's funny you should say that because my favourite song at the moment is a French artist who spe- sings in English and then the chorus is in French. Uh, Christine and the Queens. Do you know Christine and the oh, Queens? Oh
1: I love that was also on the radio all the time. Uh, I love that too. Love she's, her. Uh, love them.
0: The one at the moment is People I've Been Sad and I love that. It's all. It's a bit depressing but she's got because no, we're in one. lockdown and everything yeah. but she's got such a lovely voice and then when she goes into French I sent it to my French friend. Actually Caroline the one that I was talking about I had that last week in Paris with no clothes and um, yeah. I sent it to her and she translated it for me and it's the it's not as good as the chorus words in english
1: but it's a no, really really lovely song i think i think christine and the queens some of the songs are in uh, they were originally in french and then she put them into english and so that's why i think there's one called tilted
0: and yes. the lyrics in english yeah, yeah, are yeah. kind of weird like yeah. they don't really make sense
1: <laughs> they don't really fit but i think she translated them and but she's got yeah, such she's, a
0: beautiful voice it doesn't matter she sings in a slight french accent and i absolutely love oh that. yeah
1: there's a cool video clip for that one tilted i recommend you watch it
0: Okay, I'll have a look. Uh, very quickly, what's next for the, uh, the Earful Tower? What's next for you there? Obviously, you're in lockdown.
1: Yeah, well, it's kind of... Uh, I'm trying to make the most of it. I've been doing pub quizzes every Saturday night about uh, French trivia and stuff like that, just live on YouTube, just to try and keep people entertained and keep myself entertained. Uh, but the big thing is I wrote a book, a memoir, Paris on Air, and I'm working on making the audio book. And I'm Lisa... You've probably When I say audiobook you probably think, audio audiobook, lame, right? No, not this time <laughs> because I'm making an audio experience, right? All the characters in the memoir have recorded their parts, luckily before lockdown, uh, but also I got an original score, like the people who write music did it for me who've been on the show before. And I'm putting all the... Like, when I walked down Rue Montague in the second, I've got the audio. I walked around with a microphone. So, the idea is to make you feel like you're in Paris. And this is going to sound like I'm just trying to sell it, but I'm being deadly honest. Like, I'm so proud of how it's coming out because, like, you know the kind of podcast you do and what I do. We do an interview and then we put it out. But, like, when you put music and sound effects in, then you just, like... Wow, this is suddenly it's personal. Plus it's my memoir story. So I'll send you a copy and you're gonna have a listen and tell me what you think. But uh but that's going to keep me busy for the next month.
0: Oh, it sounds amazing. And this has been such fun. I'm really enjoying the lockdown uh, conversations. Thank you so much for coming on the Big Travel Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, Lisa.
0: Thank you so much, Oliver. And I really, really cannot wait to take that canal trip. Thank you for listening to the Big Travel Podcast. Who knows who else I have lined up in lockdown? I have no idea at the moment, but I'm working on it. And I guarantee you, it'll be someone utterly brilliant, as hopefully it always is. See you soon.